0: Too smart for your trading app? Tired of brokers made for beginners? Then it's time you get serious. It's time you join Tasty Trade. the tools and tech you need for a tough market, plus low and capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more, all in one place. If you trade anywhere else, you're missing out. Join the club, genius. Visit tastytrade.com. TastyTrade, Inc. is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA, NFA, and SIPC.
1: I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange, our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your Five at Five. We start with blowing past estimates. Wow, Netflix shares they are surging after reporting its best quarter of subscriber growth since the early days of the pandemic. Also, keep the records rolling. Futures look to put stocks back in the wind column after a bit of a mixed session yesterday that saw the S&P and the NASDAQ 100 both lock in fresh new highs. Also this morning, more trouble for Boeing. Pressure building after new comments from two major Max9 customers, both of them speaking to CNBC and NBC exclusively. Now CEO David Calhoun, he's heading to Capitol Hill. Plus eBay joins the ranks of nearly two dozen companies that are cutting staff in 2024. And then later in the show, Bill Ackman, he puts his money where his mouth is in his fight against anti-Semitism. It is Wednesday, January the 24th, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. After a mixed session for stocks yesterday, that saw the S&P and the Nasdaq 100, both of them lock in fresh record highs. By the Dow, it snapped, a three-session win streak. Take a look right now. You see it's in the green across the board. Looks like the Dow would open up about 75 points higher. But really, what we're talking about here is the NASDAQ this morning, up three-quarters of 1% on the back of those Netflix earnings. Also, ASML pushing this index higher. We're going to talk about both much more later in the show. Right now, we're going to check bond yields, taking a look at the benchmark 10-year. You see the benchmark coming in at 4.10, just a few basis points lower than yesterday. And we're also looking at oil this morning, taking a look at WTI. That's the U.S. benchmark trading at about 74.75 a barrel, up a half a percent. Similar story for Brent crude. All right, we're also, we got to add one more to our morning setup. We're talking Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, looking to claw its way back to $40,000. Take a look just about you know, 20 bucks or so under that level right now. Keep in mind, since the launch of those Bitcoin ETFs, Bitcoin itself is down double digits. Okay, that is your morning setup now. We wanna to go to our top story and our big money mover of today. We're talking Netflix. Shares are popping as the streaming giant added more than 13 million subscribers in the fourth quarter easily beating the estimate of 8.8 million. Revenue also topping forecast, although profit missed. Netflix now has nearly 261 million paid subscribers around the world as it continues to crack down on password sharing and build its ad-supported tier on the earnings call. Co-CEO Greg Peters says the company does not see ads as the primary revenue driver this year, but the streaming giant is looking to scale that business.
2: There's room for multiple players, clearly. And when we think about you know, how we compete for some of that ad spend, I really think we need to play with to our strengths. We've got the, an incredibly engaged audience, the most engaged audience who are watching the most culture-defining films, series, and live events. That is an important place for brands to be, and it's something that differentiates us from our competitors. All
1: right, let's get an analyst take on the quarter with Peter Sapino of Wolf Research. Peter, good morning. Morning, Frank. All right. One of those culture-defining live events. So that's WWE. It's got a lot of people excited. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want to get your take on this quarter. Did it change your rating or your price target for this company?
3: Uh, so we have a neutral rating on Netflix and we'll keep it. Uh, it was a really good quarter and the share price action makes sense. Netflix is a fascinating tension right now between what we know just happened and what might happen in the future. Interesting. So a lot of people are talking about right now
1: the subscriber growth. Um, obviously, incredible subscriber subscriber growth, far exceeding the estimates. I think a big question is, do you think it's sustainable going forward? One thing on the call that was mentioned quite a bit is that there's going to be industry consolidation, and that you know um, the industry itself is is changing pretty dramatically.
3: The rate of change in in long form video is is great. Uh, and Netflix has changed quickly over the last two years. They've been paid magnificently for their willingness to yeah. adapt. 18 months ago, this business slowed down badly. They launched their paid sharing initiative that's intervening with password sharing. They launched their advertising business, which they always said they wouldn't do. And the business accelerated from 6% growth in 2022 to over 12 or 13% growth in 2023. Again, massive praise to the management team for their willingness to adapt. But the question is, what happens next? And with the benefits of password sharing waning, uh, this growth model is going to have to lean a lot harder on revenue per member, and that has a lot to do with advertising and pricing. All right. So I do want to talk to you about the addition of
1: WWE, not sports. It's not live sports, but it is sports adjacent, and it is a live event. How meaningful is this for, for Netflix going forward? And, and does it tell you something about their plans in the future?
3: We argue that WWE is is uh, sufficiently sports uh, for categorizing it that way. It's, these are these are truly athletes. If you attend or watch one of these events, they're fantastic athletes, and and while it's scripted, uh, they're clearly executing very athletic feats. And and so uh, anyway, the more important point is that WWE acts like sports for a broadcaster. Uh, it is regular programming. It is live programming. It draws an audience of a WWE in the US draws an audience of about two million per episode. And so, Netflix has accurately called it uh, you know, sports entertainment and that this is uh, adjacent to things they've already done. Um, we think this decision to air or to license WWE for a big number, $5 billion over 10 years, is reminiscent of their slow walk towards advertising, which is something they said they wouldn't do mm-hmm. as recently as two years ago, and, and then gradually socialized and then launched aggressively. We think that Netflix will become a bigger player in sports. All right. One other thing I want to
1: talk to you about, it it touches on subscriber growth Uh, in the shareholder letter. The executive said they expect consolidation, but Netflix is not looking to acquire linear assets. They really went out their way to say that. What's your interpretation? And again, I want to come back to subscriber growth, consolidation and the fact that they aren't looking to acquire linear assets. Give us your interpretation of all that.
3: Well, uh, it's it's well reflected in the business press that Paramount uh, has to do a deal or certainly is very motivated to do a deal. And so I think Netflix was speaking to its investors and assuring them that they wouldn't be uh, Sherry Redstone's path forward, um, which is not shocking. Netflix has never made a large acquisition, and their com- relative competitive position has hardly ever uh, been better in their history. And so it's hard to imagine why they would suddenly pivot now other than having a very high share price. More broadly, we do expect the industry to consolidate, but Netflix doesn't necessarily need to, to chase it. They're very well funded. They don't have to do anything reactive. All right. Peter Cipino says WWE is a great addition.
1: He smells what Netflix is cooking. Peter, great to see you. Thank you. All right. Let's get a check with some of this morning's other top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanal is here. Sylvana, good morning.
4: Hey, Frank. Good Wednesday morning to you. Well, eBay is adding to the list eBay plans to lay off 9% of its corporate workforce. That's about 1,000 full-time employees. In a letter to staff that was published on a corporate blog, company CEO Jamie Ayanone says the firm will also, quote, scale um, scale back the number of contracts we have within our alternate workforce over the coming months. The move adds eBay to the ranks of the nearly two dozen companies announcing layoffs this month alone after some wide-ranging cuts last year. China securities regulators are reportedly asking some hedge fund managers to restrict short-selling in the stock index futures market in yet another effort to stabilize sagging stock prices. The country's blue chip CSI 300 index this week is trading close to a five-year low. The country's central bank also announcing this morning it will cut its reserve ratio requirement for banks by 50 basis points starting February 5th and provide 1 trillion yuan in long-term capital again to help stimulate growth. And Bill Ackman and his wife, Neri Oxman, are buying a nearly 5% stake in the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. The announcement coming as the Israeli exchange announced pricing of a secondary offering priced at $5.50 a share. The move marks Ackman's first major investment in Israel since its war with Hamas began in October. It also comes after Ackman sharply criticized Harvard University and other top Ivy League schools for failing to root out anti-Semitism on their campuses, Frank.
1: All right, Silvana, thank you very much. We will see you later in the show. All right, we have a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, markets looking to continue to add to fresh record highs as hopes for a near-term Fed rate cut, well, they're starting to fade. Plus, Boeing feeling the pressure as the CEOs of two key customers, they call out the company over its quality control issues. And then later in the show, a spillover effect for chip stocks on the back of an impressive ASML beat. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by
5: making investments from coast to coast.
1: All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures are higher after stocks. They took a bit of a breather yesterday with the Dow breaking a three-day win streak. The S&P 500, however, closing at another all-time record high. Also, check this out. Take a look. This is the dollar index. It's up 2% this month on track for its best performance since September as traders lower their expectations for early rate cuts from the Fed following a run of solid economic data. So now they're pricing on a 49% chance of a rate cut in March, according to the CME FedWatch tool, and that's down from 88% just a month ago. Let's talk more about this now with Josh Wein, Portfolio Manager at Hennessy Funds. Josh, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. How are you? All right. So we were just showing the audience just now uh, the odds of a rate cut in March basically cut in half. Give us a sense. This decline in dovishness, how do you see it impacting the markets? And do you think five or six cuts? Is that still realistic for this year?
2: It seems realistic just from a, you know, fundamental standpoint. I mean, I think we're going to the economy inevitably will slow and and people have been saying that for so long and it hasn't happened that I think people are saying, well, now it can't happen because it hasn't happened. But the market is still pricing in, you know, about five cuts by the end of the year. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's a crazy notion. And the market, despite what the Fed might say, the market still believes that. Rates are going lower and the market's okay. reacting accordingly.
1: Josh, you know what else people are always saying? Right now is the time for small caps. You're one of them. So you have a fund, actually. Yeah. you have It's a ticker HFMDX. It's a small cap value-focused fund. And we're going to show people the performance since that dovish uh, pause by the Fed back in December. It's actually underperforming the rest of small caps. You say value is its own catalyst. Why aren't we seeing this value-focused small cap fund outperform? Why aren't we seeing small caps do better?
2: yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question, and we talked about it before, and I, I think that it's partly just the excitement for good reason over you know stocks like Netflix that you know pre-market is is roaring higher and and then you know kind of the the cloud software companies and you know Google's of the world and and that all makes sense. They're great companies and and the performance makes a lot of sense to me despite the the dramatic nature of it. But I think that small caps, you know, and mid caps, they get overlooked. I mean, there's there's not a ton of liquidity, right? And in a passive driven, ETF focused marketplace, you know, it's hard to to trade in those. I mean, Got I it. think that, you know, smaller investors kind of benefit from the fact that they don't need that same amount of liquidity. And I think that, yeah, it's inevitable. And, uh, well, inevitable. You know, hardest, we're we're have to waiting. wait and
1: see. But I, I want to ask you about something else. Mega Cap Tech. Um, today we're seeing Netflix surging. We're seeing chip stocks surging as well. What's your view of Mega Cap Tech? And a lot of people thought that, that that run and that rally for Mega Cap Tech would take a breather, but we just don't see
2: that. Yeah, we don't. And, you know, I think that so many people remember back in the dot-com bubble and how, you know, it was an exciting time and that was, you know, built on a foundation of sand. This is a foundation that's quite quite strong you know microsoft you know people would say oh it can't get any bigger or you know the law of large numbers well that that law has been repealed you know these companies benefit from scale uh they are dominant they are, are you, not going away
1: so you like small caps uh, So you are a buyer in mega cap tech as well
2: well no i mean we're not it's just not you know something that would come into our portfolios typically but you know yeah they're priced to perfection Most likely, you know, 30 times forward earnings on the NASDAQ versus 15 times for mid caps. You know, there's a lot baked into those numbers. I don't think it's crazy, but I think that, you know, I I sleep a lot better, you know, kind of looking at off the run type names, you know, in our mid cap 30 fund, for example, uh, that are just not that exciting. Don't make for great cocktail party chatter, but, you know, get the job done.
1: There we go. We're showing some of your research right now. Uh, the S&P mid-cap 400 trading at a discount to the broader S&P. That's why part of why you're so bullish on small caps. Josh Wine, great to see you. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, coming right. up here on Worldwide Exchange, an exclusive conversation with the CEO of PSEG on the challenges facing his company's stock and the key investments around the energy transition. Much more WEX coming up in just a moment.
0: Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade
1: All right, Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. We start with ASML. Those shares pop in this morning. The chipmaker just blowing past fourth quarter estimates, including a 30 percent jump in revenue. Still, the chipmaker says it expects sales to be flat this year as it navigates the broader tech battle between the U.S. and China. The Dutch government had revoked ASML's license for the shipment of two of its chips to China earlier this month. You can see right here, those shares up more than five percent. We're also looking at other chip stocks moving higher. Uh, With ASML, they include AMD, Intel, and applied materials. You can see AMD right now up almost 2.5%. And sticking with chips, shares of Texas Instruments, they're under pressure this morning. The company offering a disappointing revenue forecast, a softness in the auto and industrial sectors weigh on demand. TI also continuing its reduction of factory loadings as it looks to ship below end market demand and normalize its inventory levels. Those shares down just over 3.5%. And SAP shares surging to an all-time high following results and news. It will cut 8,000 jobs as part of a company-wide restructuring plan. The software giant says it will increase focus on key strategic growth areas like AI and expects revenue to rise to $10 billion next year. SAP previously cut 3,000 jobs in an effort to combat higher interest rates and the decline in tech spending, taking a look at shares of SAP, up almost 6%. We're also watching PSEG this morning. Shares down more than 4% over the last 12 months, following a volatile year for the rate-sensitive utility space. PSEG is a large-cap large East Coast utility company providing gas and electric services to about 70% of New Jersey. It has more than 2.3 million electric customers and 1.9 million natural gas customers. The majority of revenue comes from power distribution and transmission to residential and business customers. PSEG also has a nuclear and wind business. Joining me now in a CNBC exclusive to discuss utilities and the broader energy transition is PSEG CEO Ralph LaRosa. Ralph, good morning. Great to have you here.
6: Good morning, Frank. Great to be here.
1: So give us a sense. What's going on in the utility space right now? Um, you know, obviously more energy demand than ever before, whether it be residentially or even at data centers for tech companies. Just give us a paint the picture of the space right now.
6: Yeah, so you did a great job of setting it up, though. You know, we're in a high, higher interest rate environment, so uh, certainly have dealt with that over the past year. But I think what you also just said was, was so key is that, you know, usage has gone up, but not necessarily total usage. It's really become an issue that people want their power on when they need it, right? So if you're charging your iPhone, if you're using watching TV, whatever you might be doing, you need that power and you need to have it reliably delivered to you. And more and more people want it to be cleaner than ever before.
1: Uh, You are also going to the New New Jersey Board of Public Utilities. You're requesting a rate increase. So according to your research, that rate increase is going to be about 9 percent, excuse me, 12 percent. It's going to cost the average person about 25 bucks more a month. Give us a sense. How do you plan to spend that money? You also recently raised your outlook when it came to revenue and EPS guidance.
6: Right. So we have not been in for a what we call a base rate case for over five years now. And uh, all through that time, we've managed the expenses uh, that we've talked about facing, whether it be interest rates or or other uh, increases that we've seen in our in our goods and services. Um, But that spend is going to go right back into the system. I mean, we've talked about this quite a bit. We earn on making the investment. So people want more, more reliable power. They want their wires to be upgraded. They want their natural gas pipes to be upgraded. And so we're continuing to reinvest, you know, several billion dollars a year back into the system here in New Jersey. It's paid off. Our reliability is one of the best in the nation. Our leak rate is down on our gas distribution system. So um, customers are seeing the benefit of the rates that they're paying. And what's really important to us, and we keep an eye on this every single every single year, is how does that how does that part of your expenses play out? And what it really has turned out for us has been about three percent. Of your expenses here in New Jersey go to pay your electric and gas bill at an average customer. And our low income customers have been under 2%. Uh,
1: I want to talk to you about the energy transition. I know your company is heavily involved in preparing for the energy transition. What does that really mean when we talk today? Uh, we've seen a lot of people talk about electric vehicles and we see some of that demand pull back. You also have a nuclear and a wind business.
6: Yeah. So- let me start with the supply side. Uh, certainly on the on the nuclear business, what it has meant for us is we, we've enjoyed the benefits that we've seen from the IRA and, and the certainty that has come into sector with the investment tax credits that we'll be getting from that IRA. That's across the industry. So the nuclear industry is safe and sound for, for many years to come as a result of that. What that means for customers is we'll be generating cleaner power than uh, we would otherwise be without having nuclear power. You know, our, okay. our grid is still delivered 26 percent from from coal. And so the the use of, of loss of, uh, of nuclear would be, you know, very detrimental from, a, from an environmental standpoint. But what it really means to you in your home is making sure that that power stays on, which I said earlier. And it's all about making sure that those wires are as reliable as possible.
1: All right. PSEG CEO Ralph LaRosa, great to see you. Thank you for coming on. You have a great
6: day. Thanks for having us. All
1: right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the earnings parade continues. We await results from Tesla and IBM. Jeff Kilburn, he lays out his view on both stocks as an investor and the key numbers that he's watching. Much more WEX coming up after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here in Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. subscriber sir, shares of Netflix. They are taking off in the back of earnings and a banner quarter for the streaming giant, including massive gains when it comes to customers. That stock set to help fuel a broader market rally with the S&P coming off, yet another fresh all-time high. Futures right now, they're solidly in the green. And the turbulence continues to grow for Boeing as its CEO prepares to head to Capitol Hill to face lawmakers on questions about quality control issues. It is Wednesday, January the 24th, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures on the back of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100, both of them hitting fresh record highs yesterday, Take a look in the green across the board. Looks like uh, the Dow would open up about 40 points higher off of its highs of earlier today. But you can see the Nasdaq really leading the way again off the back of those Netflix earnings. Also some chip earnings. Uh, Now we want to turn to our top story and what else could it be? It's Netflix shares taken off. They're up double digits right now after reporting its best quarter of subscriber growth since the early days of the pandemic. Arjun Kapal joins me now from London with The Breakdown. Arjun, good morning.
7: Good morning, Frank. Well, look, Netflix missed on earnings but beat on revenue, but investors shook off that mixed bag. Instead, it was the user numbers in focus, and Netflix's password sharing, crackdown, and ad supported tier are helping the company. Clearly, the streaming giant added 13.1 million subscribers during the fourth quarter, stronger growth than what Wall Street had expected. Netflix now has 260.8 million subscribers. A record for the company. Netflix also forecasts earnings per share of $4.49 for the fiscal first quarter of 2024, higher than market expectation. Now, while it's all going well for Netflix, it might not be great news for subscribers. Netflix signaled that it could raise prices again. Netflix told investors, quote... As we invest in and improve Netflix, we'll occasionally ask our members to pay a little extra to reflect those improvements. Clearly, Netflix is very confident right now in its product, even amid rising competition from the likes of Disney and others. And Netflix also taking its first major foray into live sports with a deal with TKO Group to stream WWE's flagship program Raw, starting next year, highlighting its ambitions to expand its content, offering beyond just TV shows and movies now into live sport and gaming the market was very happy clearly with the report card with netflix shares up more than 10 percent in after hours frank uh, very clearly the market was very happy with the report despite that eps
1: miss so i have to ask you I asked an earlier guest about this how big of a deal is the wwe signing uh, 10 years five billion dollars it's not sports but it is live events
7: It certainly is. The WWE calls it sports entertainment, Frank, and as you said, 10 year deal valued at more than five billion. It's a fascinating deal. Netflix connects it after five years, of course, but for Netflix, uh, which has resisted live programming for years uh, and is now changing its tune. It will be a big test for the company of how it handles these kind of events, uh, but also for the appetite for live shows on the streaming platform. Now, WWE has an established fan base, a very strong fan base, so this could unlock a new audience for Netflix. But it might also open the door for other live sports on Netflix's platform, which will be very interesting as well. Now, for the WWE, it's had mixed success in its own streaming service with the WWE network. But now I think with Netflix, it's got a much bigger distribution base and much more proven distribution base for its content and could help bring new audiences to that program as well. So a big deal on right. both sides, Frank. Yeah, executives said they believe the
1: WWE wow. was under distributed outside the U.S. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Arjun Paul, always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right. Outside of Netflix, we have a number of other companies also reporting earnings this week. Tesla, IBM and Las Vegas Sands out with their numbers after the close today. Christina Parts and Evelis and Contessa Brewer have the key metrics to watch.
8: Well, IBM is trying to reposition itself as a software led company, driven by the acquisition of open source software firm Red Hat, the spin off of IT services firm Kindle, and now major investments in AI platforms, all within the last three years. And this upcoming earnings report will shed some light on this transformation as it's the first quarter to include revenues from its Watson X AI data platform, which is based on the cloud. Jeffrey's analysts say this is a good push for IBM's software business, but they actually see more potential right now in its consulting business with its 20. 1000 plus strong staff. And that's because enterprise customers right now are desperate for help implementing these complex AI systems. Call it a consulting AI uplift. Speaking of consulting, software and consulting contribute roughly 75% of IBM's total revenues. And according to FactSet, the street consensus right now expects full year 2023 software and consulting revenue growth to fall in line with guidance, especially as right now you still have companies that are cautious with their IT budgets. They also expect free cash flow to be slightly above the $10.5 billion guidance level, which bodes well for its free cash flows.
9: All eyes will be on Macau as Las Vegas Sands announces earnings today after the bell. You know, it's been a year since the world's gaming capital fully reopened after the pandemic, and yet shares of Las Vegas Sands are down 12% over the past year. It's as though investors have given Sands no credit. For Macau's reopening, And remember, before COVID, Sands Macau business accounted for more than 60% of the company's revenue. It's going to be more now because they have sold out of Las Vegas. Analysts are expecting the fourth quarter improvement in tourism in Macau back to 2019 levels to produce a notable impact for the company's bottom line. Deutsche Bank and UBS both issued a recent buy rating. In Singapore, Marina Bay Sands has been a huge moneymaker for the company. In the third quarter, it produced more than a billion dollars in revenue, 96 percent occupancy, with room rates running about $700. That is pent-up demand. We may also get some details on Sands' hopes for a New York casino on Long Island. They've been working hard on that. But, of course, the big item that has dropped jaws in the sports world is that the family of the late founder, Sheldon Adelson, The family's buying a controlling stake of the Dallas Mavericks from Mark Cuban for a record $3.8 billion. Look, it doesn't have any impact on the corporate side right now, but it is an interesting intersection between sports and casinos in Texas where there are no casinos yet.
1: And be sure to catch Contessa's exclusive interview with Las Vegas Sands chairman and CEO Rob Goldstein tomorrow on Power Lunch at 2 p.m. Eastern. All right. We cannot forget about Tesla. Take a look at the chart. Shares down about three percent over the past three months as it prepares a report. Its results today. Key will be the demand picture and how profit margins have been impacted by recent price cuts. This is Tesla reportedly looks to start production on a new mass market compact crossover E.V., codenamed Redwood by mid 2025. Let's get the investor angle on this with Jeff Kilberg, KKM financial founder and CEO, as well as a CNBC contributor, friend of the show, all around good guy. Jeff, good morning. Great to have you here.
10: Good morning, Frank. Nice to see you, pal.
1: All right. So Jeff, we got to talk about some of these recent troubles with Tesla. Uh, We mentioned over the last three months down 3%, year to date down double digits, facing price wars in China and in Europe. Um, How are you seeing this quarter?
10: Yeah, I think you have to embrace this emotion in Tesla as an opportunity. But you're absolutely right, Frank, when the S&P 500 is at all-time highs, up 2.5% year to date, we have seen Tesla down about 15 16%. So this pullback, this opportunity, is in the wake of a couple different emotional components. We saw Hertz sell about 20,000 of their EVs, their Teslas, they're dumping those. We also saw that production halt in Germany, but I think it's more of the emotion. We recently saw Elon talk about wanting to own more shares. Remember, he owns 13% of Tesla, he has another 7% of Tesla in stock options, so he has about an 80, 90 billion dollar exposure to Tesla, but he wants more because he wants more voting power. So it's continued emotion, puts shareholders in the hot seat. Okay. I think there's an opportunity to buy it against $200. All right,
1: so you're saying if it falls below $200, it's a buy for you, but if it stays above $200, you are not buying?
10: I own it right now. I'm selling puts here, to be very clear. I want to okay. own more at the $200 level. But if you think technically, Frank, it's in a little bit of no man's land, to your point. So technically, the 50-day and the 200-day moving average is up at $230. But right now, in the pre, it looks like it's up about 2%. I think you're going to see a 10% move, hopefully, to the upside. But I think okay. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some type of emotion, again, from Elon on the call. All right.
1: A lot of emotion there. Uh, I want to switch yes. gears to IBM. A lot of people see this as an under-the-radar AI play. So it's relatively cheap. It trades at 18 times. But let's talk about Red Hat. Shares are only up about 20% since the Red Hat acquisition. Um, Christina, who just did a preview for us, also pointed out that analysts see a lot of bullishness in their consulting business that had previously been under pressure. How do you see this quarter?
10: I think it's a cloud company. I think it's a completely different company. And at Christina's point, they just purchased stream sets and web methods, about a $3 billion acquisition. They continue to put AI tools in their portfolio. So if you rewind, Frank, 10 years ago when it was trading above $200, it was a wildly different company. So the IBM name itself, Big Blue, is not the Big Blue of yesteryear. And I think we own it for a reason. It's an essential name. It's number three in cloud. It's continued to grow and build out that business-to-business AI tool set.
1: All right. Last, but certainly not least, Netflix this morning. Shares are surging on the back of that big blowout quarter when it came to subscriber growth. Also, the addition of WWE. What do you think about this company?
10: You know what is The Rock got cooking? To see The <laughs> Rock come in here, he was out on the road yesterday. I think there's another $60 up. And if you look technically, there's a back and fill opportunity for Tesla to go up to $600. That's about $50 away after a wild 10% move of the upside. So I think you can still own it here. But I think $600 will be a short-term resistance level for Netflix, which continues to grow.
1: All right, Jeff Kober giving his de facto price target, 600 bucks for Netflix after a blowout quarter. Jeff, it is always great to see you. Thank you very much. See you, pal. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, growing pressure on Boeing as two major customers. They sound off on their mounting issues with the aircraft maker. We have much more Worldwide Exchange coming back in just a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Now we're turning to, turning to Boeing. The pressure is mounting on the aerospace giant in the wake of that January 5th Alaska Air door plug blowout. Since that event, you can see right here, the stock's down more than 14% to just under $210 a share and moving even lower this morning. The latest black eye for the company coming in just the last 24 hours, a new criticism from two of its top customers. First, in a CNBC exclusive, it was United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby speaking with our Phil LeBeau, he says he's disappointed the manufacturing challenges keep happening and he adds that his company is now considering fleet plans th- that do not include future versions of the 737 Max jet.
6: We're now, best case, five years behind on the original delivery uh, of the Max 10. Um, and as we've gone through the last year internally at United, We've grown increasingly to believe that best case, the Max 10 just gets pushed further and further to the right. So we'd already started working on alternative plans. I think this is the straw, the Max 9 grounding is probably the straw that broke the camel's back for us. Uh, We're going to at least build a plan that doesn't have the Max 10 in it. Now, we'll hope that Boeing gets it certified at some point, but we're going to build an alternative plan that just doesn't have the Max 10 in it.
1: While Boeing's not commenting on Kirby's Max 10 comments, its head of commercial airplanes did say in a statement in part, quote, We've let down our airline customers and are deeply sorry for the significant disruption to them, their employees, and their passengers. We are taking action on a comprehensive plan to bring 737 MAX 9 airplanes safely back to service and to improve our quality and delivery performance. Just hours after Kirby's interview, it was the CEO of Alaska Airlines speaking exclusively with NBC's Nightly News, revealing his airline found some loose bolts on many MAX 9s during its inspections of the planes and that he is angry Frustrated and disappointed in Boeing. Within a few days of the event, I had Dave Calhoun and his entire leadership team in our offices here, and we had very tough, candid conversations about what happened and why it happened. Uh, and yes, Tom, I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm more than frustrated and disappointed. I am angry. This happened to Alaska Airlines. It happened to our guests. It happened to our our people. Uh, and and. Um, My um, demand on Boeing is what are they going to do to improve their quality programs in-house? And today, the political pressure builds as Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun heads to Capitol Hill to meet with lawmakers, including Senators Mark Warner and Commerce, Science and Transportation Committee member Ted Cruz. This, as the FAA in his new comments to CNBC this morning says, it will keep, quote, boots on the ground in every Boeing Max factory until it's convinced that the quality control systems are in check. Let's discuss this further with Sheila Kayaglu, Jeffrey's aerospace and defense analyst. She joins me now on the CNBC Newsline. Sheila, good morning. Great to have you here. Good
11: morning. Thank you.
1: All right. So a lot going on with Boeing right now. Just give me a general sense. Um, how do you see the company and the stock right now? And what's the future of these Max Jets?
11: So as you mentioned, the stock has really taken a down, uh, downward hit since January 5th. It's lost about $22 billion in market cap since then. So the market is not just saying, listen, 24 is a one-time issue with maybe some max mines not being delivered. It, it's not simply taking a haircut to our 24 free cash flow number of about $5 billion, but it's really discounting long-term free cash flow of Boeing. So it's saying that this company could earn maybe 6 to $8 billion of free cash flow okay. instead of 10 to 15 like the street thinks because it's permanently impairing max production and deliveries.
1: So a a very significant impact. Um, I want to look ahead. Um, The CEO of Boeing, Dave Calhoun, he's going to be coming to D.C. to meet with two pretty influential senators on some key committees. What are you expecting to come out of that? And how do you think that impacts the stock price? Uh,
11: You know, I I don't know if it will impact the financials or the stock price, uh, but, you know, I think Boeing has shown that it it has to work with the FAA. And uh, we don't know what the result of this The Alaska flight will be. It seems like everything is pointing to manufacturing process issues with more oversight needed, more regulation needed. So I think that's what these meetings today and tomorrow will really enforce about how much more oversight can we put into the system. I mean, there is oversight. Boeing inspects these planes. Then the FAA does. Then the carriers, too, that take these planes, because they're quite expensive pieces of equipment. So how much more oversight can we do? What what else can Boeing inspect Uh, To fix the processes, and I don't think this is a design issue. It it seems like it's more of a process issue.
1: Um, I think just the blowout itself was very shocking. We've heard from a number of CEOs. We're going to show the audience some of their comments right now. Um, The CEOs voicing their, you know, frustration, their disappointment, flat out their anger. if the key customers are saying things like this, what does it mean about just the future of Boeing going forward? And then they also have you know, a rising competitor in Airbus. What does it mean about the competition landscape going forward?
11: So many questions there. So yeah, a lot. Wh- wh- uh, wh- what does it really mean? I mean, UAL is such a large customer. It's 15% of the max 10 order book. And that's really what Scott Kirby was uh, frustrated with yesterday. Because what's United next, It's it's their investor day plan that they laid out in 2021 and they have another investor day coming up in 2 months and basically this plan says they're going to grow 4 to 6% top line how are they going to do that they're going to do that through upgaging their fleet with 2 to 3% upgaging and that's because they're getting larger aircraft the Max 10 seats about 10% more passengers than the Max 8 and that's why it's so important to them so they're really frustrated delta's another 11% in the order book and alaska's another 5 so you don't want these three on on your bad side, right? So (laughs) Boeing has to get the MAX 10 certified. Uh, Even though this has nothing to do with the MAX 10, it's the MAX 9, it's only 171 aircraft, the FAA has to certify the MAX 10 and there could be delayed scrutiny. So Boeing has to really work on their relationship and their reputation to fix that.
1: Yeah, I would say so. By the way, we're showing the audience just a second ago, the Airbus chart, it just goes straight up in a line. So I threw a couple questions at you, Sheila. I'm gonna ask you this other one again. Airbus, is this a big opportunity for Airbus? Do you see Airbus taking market share after these disruptions?
11: They have. Um, you know, when we, it's a global duopoly. We used to think of it as 50-50. And since 2019, narrow body share for Boeing has fallen to 40% with Airbus taking 60 Now, you know, we're, we're manufacturing about 1,500 narrow body aircraft per year by next year. Um, Airbus probably can't do more than the seventy-five a month if they even get there because they have their own issues with their supply chain and quality there. So uh, we don't see share going further one way because the supply chain is so strained. You're so um, you have these suppliers you can't really swap them out. Um, so it's probably going to end up at sixty forty, but what it means for Boeing, and this is what investors are discounting with the market cap falling, is what does pricing look like for Boeing for these aircraft? It, it was impaired. That's okay. our view. What we think over the last few years, is it going to continue to be impaired?
1: All right. Huge story today. Boeing shares down just about a half a percent right now. Sheila Kayaglu, always great to have you here. Thank you so much for your time and for your insight. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, well, our next guest is shaking off concerns that the market's record run is running on empty. We'll be right back with much more WEX. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap up. We begin with eBay planning to cut 9 percent of its workforce or about 1,000 full time employees. This adding to the nearly two dozen companies announcing layoffs this month. China's securities regulators reportedly asking a number of hedge fund managers to restrict short selling in the stock index futures market. It's a bid to stabilize slumping stock prices. The country's central bank also announcing it will cut its reserve ratio requirement for banks by 50 basis points. That starts on February 5th. It will also provide 1 trillion yuan in long-term capital. Bill Ackman and his wife, Neri Oxman, are buying a nearly 5% stake in the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange marking Ackman's first major investment in Israel since the war with Hamas began in October. Ford is recalling nearly 1.9 million vehicles in the U.S., the recall impacting certain 2011 and 2019 explorers, or excuse me, 2011 to 2019 explorers due to trim retention clips potentially not being properly engaged, allowing that trim to detach. And ASML shares, they're popping after posting a 30% jump in revenue and forecasting similar sales for 2024. The strong quarter helping lift other chip stocks That includes AMD, Intel, and Applied Materials. All right, here's what to watch today. We have several pieces of economic data. They include weekly mortgage applications as well as flash manufacturing and flash services PMI figures. And of course, the earnings parade continues with the results of of Tesla, IBM, AT&T, CSX, and Las Vegas Sands. All right, earnings set to be a key focus for investors today, potentially providing fresh fuel to markets with the S&P coming off yet another new all-time high. Taking a look at futures right now, we're seeing the Dow looking like it would open up about 50 points higher, but it's really the Nasdaq surging higher on the back of those chip stocks and the Netflix results. For much more, let's bring in Callie Cox, U.S. Investment Analyst at eToro. Callie, good morning. It is great to have you here.
5: Yeah, good morning, Frank. Great to be here.
1: All right, so give us a sense. Uh, We just mentioned new records for the S&P and the Nasdaq 100, Netflix shares popping. How do you see this trading day shaping up? What's your Wex word of the day?
5: Well, first of all, my word of the day is value, Frank. And I say value because we've closed at a third straight record high yesterday. Uh, You know, futures are up this morning. It looks like we could be gaining on the day. But, you know, the the big complaint that comes around with record highs is the fact that there may not be a lot of value. But these are unusual record highs and that we see a lot of value underneath the surface. And that value could be unearthed as we get uh, the manufacturing and services data today.
1: All right. Speaking of today, you're looking ahead to the manufacturing PMI. So we're going to show the estimates. Um, Last month was 47.9. The estimate for this month's 47.2. That's technically contraction. Um, If it comes in, at least at the estimate, what does that say to you?
5: Well, if it comes in at the estimate, Frank, the estimate's around 47. Um, You know, it wouldn't be shocking to me. I think manufacturing is still in a tough spot. But the thing that investors should focus on is the fact that manufacturing activity has stopped going down so quickly. We see it stabilizing, and we're starting to see confidence pick back up again. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see the headline number come in well below that 50, that signals expansion. But at the same time, You know, we need to watch the new orders in manufacturing. We need to listen to, uh, you know, the optimism we're hearing from the C-suite right now. Uh, You know, people took notice when the Fed uh, let us know uh, last month that, you know, rates uh, could be coming down this year. And executives might have CapEx plans that they're leading on to. So I'd expect this manufacturing number not to stay in contraction for too long.
1: Okay, you're down in Charlotte. A lot of people call that the Wall Street of the South. Booming real estate market there, and your pick for us today is the real estate sector. You say it's actually it's trading at a discount from its five-year PE. Right now, trading at 38 times five-year PE, 42 times. Um, is this simply a rate story? Is that what makes real estate so attractive?
5: Well, I think it's primarily a rate story. And yes, I'm in Charlotte, where the real estate is booming, so I might have a bias here. But you know, I think as the market eyes rate cuts, you know, as Treasury yields come down. I think real estate could be an interesting play, and it goes back to that value I was talking about, Frank. I mean, real estate is trading at a 38 PE, which is you know quite well, or well below its 42 uh, you know forward PE average over the past five years, and it's one of those sectors that could be in focus as the market turns more toward rate cuts. Um, you know, we're really bullish on rate-sensitive cyclicals right now. Uh, that includes banks, um, that includes consumer staples, uh, but real estate. I think, could be one of the sectors that stands to benefit as we see economic data improve, which we believe will happen uh, considering the uptick in confidence that we've seen lately.
1: Yeah, I think everybody thinks that the cuts are going to happen. That's pretty much the consensus and the Fed's guided to that. But does it matter to you if it happens in March or is a later cut just as good for your thesis when it comes to these rate-sensitive cyclical sectors?
5: I think the market has pretty much much, uh, kind of led to the fact that we're going to get a cut Sooner rather than later this year. Um, if it happens in March or if it happens in May, it doesn't change our thesis too much because the outcome is the same, Frank. But I also think that the market eyeing several rate cuts isn't so crazy. Um, the Fed has told us, and the Fed has told us that they're eyeing rate cuts, right. that they're pleased with inflation's progress. But at the same time, uh, you have to remember that the Fed's dual mandate is employment, uh, excuse me, unemployment and inflation. It, The Fed's not looking at stock prices here. Uh, They want to get the Seesaw in balance.
1: Kelly Cox from Utoro, great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. All right, as we just showed you a second ago, futures are higher. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern.
0: Too smart for your trading app? Tired of brokers made for beginners? Then it's time you get serious. It's time you join Tasty Trade. The tools and tech you need for a tough market, plus low and capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more, all in one place. If you trade anywhere else, you're missing out. Join the club, genius. Visit tastytrade.com. Tasty trade, Inc. is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA, NFA, and SIPC.